Welcome back, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, to another Macaro Commodity Update. Uh, this week, we're going to cover off with uh, grains, uh, specifically looking at canola and livestock. We won't be covering wool this week because there hasn't been that much happening, according to Robert and Olivia. So we'll jump straight into canola. Back in early March, the Chinese government decided to ban a major grain trader, Richardson's International, from exporting any Canadian canola into China. This was based off of concerns about pests, and I say pests, really I'm saying that in quotation marks. It's largely speculated that this was down to concerns from the Chinese government or uh, annoyance by the Chinese government that the Canadian government had uh, arrested uh, the CFO of Huawei, I might not pronounce that correctly by the way, uh, on fraud charges to be extradited to the US. So it seems or it's speculated that the Chinese government are are playing political football with Canadian uh, canola producers. Then in recent days, this expanded to also include Viterra or Glencore. And this limits really the ability for Canada to uh, export into China. And Canada's the most important export in the world for canola and rapeseed. So just to give you an indication, Canada exports around about 9.5 million tonnes. And about 40% of that ends up going into China. For if you're a canola producer, this is going to be a, a massive impact. If, well, if you're a Canadian canola producer, it's going to be a massive negative impact when you lose, you know, a customer which is extremely important and as important as China is to Canada. And just to give you a bit of feedback and a bit of uh, trivia for the next time you're at the pub quiz. In terms of the top five exporters, Canada is the highest exporter at 9.5 million tons. Australia follows up uh, at a meagre 2.5 million tons on average across the last 10 years, and Ukraine coming coming up in the rear at 1.6 million tons, and then it's followed by European Union and uh, United States, which are in the low hundred thousands. Clearly, it puts Canada in a pretty precarious situation, losing such a big uh, export customer. And there's a couple of scenarios which which could play out. Uh, the reality is that with these sort of political issues that it's very hard to predict. We could start to see demand come back to Australia from China. The reality is that we don't have much left from, from this current season. Anything that we do have is going to be in Western Australia. And as we as we go into the new crop, anything could happen in that political arena. Ch- uh, Canada could fix their, their issues or we could have uh, a situation where uh, Europe and China are competing to get access to our canola. So there's a lot of fundamental factors that are in play. There's the politics, but there's also what happens with the European crop. If we have a, a, a big European rapeseed crop, then the impact on Australian prices might not be all that uh, strong. Because at present, we do have extremely strong basis levels uh, historically against ice futures. So at present, we are actually getting paid uh, a hell of a lot for our canola versus the rest of the world. So... It all really depends on on whether Canada can get things sorted, but I think if they can't get things sorted, then it's definitely definitely going to be positive. And uh, if we have Europe having a bad year and Canada not able to fix their issues, then uh, this could be extremely positive for us as being a you know a major major exporter of of canola and especially a major exporter of of non-GM uh, canola, which helps into into Europe. But again, this just points to to this uh, continuing issue of, of politics being involved in the commodity markets. And it's unpredictable, 
and uh, it looks like it's it's not not improving. It's actually getting worse at the present. Uh, we've seen this with the uh, soybeans with uh, Trump in China. Then we've seen it with uh, with our own barley exports into China, and now uh, China and and Canada canola. Uh, there is one common common factor in all of those uh, scuffles, and that is that is China. So it's going to be an interesting uh, couple of weeks and months, uh, especially as we as we start heading into our own seeding period. I guess what I would say is that uh, don't go chasing prices when it comes to making your planting decisions because the reality is that uh, no one has an idea what the, what the price is going to be like uh, come December, especially in an environment like this. My advice would be just stick to, to stick to your rotations as, as per normal. Just talk to your agronomist and work out what is going to be the best uh, agronomically for your soils and for the current you know subsoil moistures and uh, rotations. So... I'm going to pass you off to Matt, who is going to cover off on oh, that. Thanks stuff. for that, Andrew. Uh, well, in cattle markets uh, this week, uh, the main focus has been on uh, margins, um, in particular feeder margins and processor margins, is what the analysis has covered. Uh, the feeder margin story, look, we've seen um, feeder margins improve in the last few months, and that's really been on the back of uh, falling feeder cattle prices, particularly in the north. Uh, and that's helped to kind of steady that situation there. Um, the rainfall as well we've seen just recently, particularly in those northern northern areas, um, has seen the feeder price start to recover uh, somewhat. Uh, but we're also thinking that that's going to flow through into um, higher finished um, price, finished cattle prices for, fed, for you know, grain fed cattle, um, and that'll probably also drag up uh, the finished finished price for uh, grass fed as well, given the tight supply that's out at the moment. Uh, the story with processor margins, another interesting one. We saw uh, some quite good numbers uh, for processor margins at the start of the season, uh, January and February, around the $200 a head profit uh, level. And in March, we saw that uh, surge significantly, actually one of the highest um, processor margins for the month uh, since we've been recording it, you know, going back to 2000. So um, we saw processor margins around uh, over the $400 a head uh, level. And that was really driven by partially falling uh, input cattle prices, um, which were off for about 20% since the start of the year. And then also we, we saw those beef export prices increasing over uh, the last few months and, and probably about a 5% increase, which have been uh, quite robust. And that's flowed through to, um, to mean that we've seen some record levels for processor margins, given that they're, they're getting that input source cattle uh, quite cheap because of the dry conditions and um, and they've been able to offload those off, off overseas with the high uh, beef export prices so that's really assisted the margin there. One of the aspects of that uh, processor margin was that uh, over the period of March we saw uh, the, premium, uh, the spread that uh, processors usually pay which is often a discount or generally a discount uh, to, to where the ECI is uh, currently sitting that actually moved to a premium so processors for Eki style cattle processors were paying about a one, uh, just over one percent premium, uh, compared to um, other bio, other bio groups like restockers and feedlots, and and you don't often see um, the processors pay that premium, but it's because we saw the Eki falling down below that four hundred cent level um, that they were prepared to pay up because they were making some good money with um, with that margin uh, in, in in a good positive level. Um, We've seen this. We've seen this Eki rally now. Um, back, I think, as of yesterday, it was uh, over the 480 cents a kilo, so a 100 cent rally. Um, so that's going to mean that processors will probably step away a little bit from the market. But um, while they're making uh, the, that good money, it's going to be the case that they'll still be around supporting cattle markets on dips. I'd suspect. Uh, moving to lamb, we were really focusing on the US uh, in terms of the analysis this week, and. Um, 
it was significant too because uh, for February we saw the highest uh, volumes of uh, Australian lamb to the US on record at over 7,000 uh, tonnes ship weight. And um, if you look at the, the flows for the the first few months of 2019, and the average flows have been about 40% higher than the five-year trend. So significant increases in um, the number of, uh, of lamb export product uh, going from Australia into the US. Uh, that's partially a factor of um, the US economy has improved. Uh, we've seen some fairly low levels of unemployment and their GDP has been running quite good, so there is money around. And lamb pretty much is a, a considered a niche uh, product in the US, and so um, the type of product that they'd go out to a fine restaurant to, uh, to consume. And so if there's more money floating around the US economy and people are feeling wealthier, uh, the, the, the likelihood is that they, um, they look to increase their consumption of a whole range of things, and one of those is, uh, is lamb product. Um, an interesting point, if you look at the pricing of domestic lamb, so the US do have a, a domestic lamb market, but it's fairly small compared to ours. Um, however, they do sit at a uh, premium to our prices. If you compare them in Aussie dollar terms, uh, since about 2014, US lamb prices on the domestic market uh, for, their, for their internal product has ranged uh, around $9 to $11 a kilo uh, carcass weight. And so um, we generally sit at about $2 below that. Um, so it's a good thing from Australia's perspective with the Aussie dollar um, has been coming up for the last few years that um, that continues to make our, our land product competitive over there. And we're currently are about $3 a kilo below uh, the domestic US price. So, um, and, and, and usually you do start to see the US price lift to the highs um, that around you know, towards that $11 uh, level when, when they move into their northern summer, which is approaching. Um, so that means if, if their prices tend to follow that normal seasonal pattern and start to lift over there, it's going to allow some uh, a bit more topside uh, for our prices as we head into our, into our winter period. And that's pretty much it, I think, for the livestock uh, update. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the update. Uh, remember to have a look at the Mercado website. We've got tons of analysis on there on all the commodity markets that we cover. I hope you all have a good weekend and please pass this podcast and share this around for other people to listen to. Thanks so much.